Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Who's, who's glad for the rain? Because I am, because my catchment was empty. Like, thank God for the rain this morning. Um, but as I, as I started studying this, this passage of scripture, because now we're going through the book of Titus, we're going to do a sermon series um, throughout the summer in the book of Titus. And as I was preparing the sermon, I saw how Titus's life and my life aligned a little bit. I'm not, I'm not going to put myself on the level of Titus, but there were similarities throughout this passage. Um, but, but really it all started back in 2009, probably. Um, I was a senior in, in high school and we had a, uh, we had a fun time. Like I was, I was a Gentile of Gentiles back then. Like I wasn't, I wasn't crazy, but, but like the way we lived life, my life revolved around the God of football, if you know what I mean. Like my senior year, um, I only played three years of high school football. We went from my freshman year that I didn't play. We were four and seven. We went to a nine and two team. And then we went to a nine and 10 and one team. And then my senior year, we went 12 and one. Um, my senior year, not counting the game we lost because we got shut out. We scored 495 points that, that season of a single A. So if you think Honaka versus Hilo, we were the Honaka team. Like we played both ways. We were, we were, that was the kind of scrap we, we did. But there was something other than that, that, that really, that really drove my life. And there was a little place across from our football stadium. It's called Wits Barbecue. How many of you have ever had Southern barbecue before? Tennessee's, Tennessee's kind of known for their barbecue scene, Memphis area, but, but this is a place that, that loved us as individuals. So what did they do? They gave us free food. That's how this started, guys, just to let you know. This is how, this is where it was all began, because back then I was 180 pounds. But they would give out free things, and so they, they came up with this idea of a champion special. Our, my mascot was Cascade Champions. They came out with a champion special. All right, listen to this. This is grease in a pan. It was so ono. Like, it was a bed of fries, all right, and then it was pulled pork, and then it was barbecue sauce and cheese in the microwave for like a minute and a half. And there was clumps of cheese all over it. I can still taste it to this day. And it was free, which was the best part. Because the guys, we were classmates, so he would just make them and hand them out, and the company is now no longer there. But that's not the point. The point was that that the thing I could taste. But guess what? If I was a part of the tradition of the Jews, I could have never tasted that. Because it was pork, and they, they're not allowed to eat pork. So I was thinking, like, man, I was a Gentile back in the day. And then, the, and then you know football players. Come on. You know, high school football players, they're a little rough around the edges. So I was rough around the edges. Even though I was the president of FCA, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, I was, I was pretty rough around the edges. But God used that in my life eventually to bring me to the place I am right now. God used the circumstances in my life and actually football in particular to bring me to where I am at right now. Because the rest of the story goes as I, I finished my football season. We had, we, we beat a team in the season and then they came back and shut us out in the playoffs. 
If we would have beat them in playoffs, we would have been, we would have went to state and battled for state championships. But all that's in the past. But here's what's present. Is that right after that season ended, I met this guy named Ezekiel Tomaselli. And I met him and we connected over football. That is what, that is the connection that brought us into our lives. So he actually, um, I met him on Chris, on New Year's Eve of 2008. And from that point on, we have been walking this life together of, um, him discipling me and pouring into me. So in, in all reality, besides probably family, like Ulu, I've known Zeke, the Christian Zeke, because I know some of y'all had relationships with him before. I've known uh, the Christian Zeke longer than most of you. And that's what we're going to study about today in Titus. You see, the background of Titus, Titus is not from Crete, which is where we're, where we're at now. He is from Antioch. He was, he was a Gentile Christian, just like we are all Gentile Christians. And he was also Paul's earliest convert. So you see the simulation? Because right now, I would say me and Zeke would be the earliest converts together. And we see that in Galatians 2.1. And then we see where Titus was assigned by Paul to pastor and support churches on the island of Crete. So not only did Paul take him out of his hometown of Galatia, he sent him to the island of Crete. Not only did Zeke Tomaselli ask me to leave my hometown to bring me to an island, the big island of Hawaii. See how God has, has placed these things kind of parallel. And I'm not saying I'm, I've authority, I have the power that Titus and Paul had, but that's what our relationship's based upon. So as we turn to the book of Titus, turn to Titus chapter 1. If you don't know where that is, that's right after 2 Timothy. And then also we have handouts today. As you turn, sorry, I meant to say this early. We have handouts. If you do not have a handout, if you could raise your hand and the ushers in the back will get you one. Because our, our slides, there's going to be less slides today from here on out through this series. We're going to go to the notes um, and writing them down on a piece of paper. So as we look through this, this passage, and as the whole book, the theme of Titus is correct doctrine and proper organization. I feel like Ohana Church has some of that down correctly. That we have correct doctrine and proper organization. But the theme of this verse, the theme of our passage in the book of Titus, it's called grace poured out. And the theme verse for this is Titus 3, 5 through 6. And it says this. He, saves, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that is our theme for this book. So as we go through this book, as we go through the narrative of Titus, may we look and see everything out of these verses. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but because of his own mercy. So if you're with me, if you're in Titus chapter 1, can you say amen? amen? All right, we'll all stand and read God's word together. Titus chapter 1, verse 1. 
and we'll end in verse 4. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before ages began. And at the proper time manifested in, in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the commandment of God our Savior. Verse 4, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. You may be seated. Lord, may you use these words, not from me, but from yourself, to reach the ears of those who hear this morning. May we glean truth from what you, what you are going to share this morning. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Worship was Ono this morning. I just wanted to say that right now. It was such a blessing to hear those truths sung from our stage. But now we're going to start in, in um, point number one. And as we go through this, it's, it's kind of, there's going to be a lot of content, but bear with me because we all wrap it up at the end. Number one, God's grace is poured out to us, poured out by us in service. Verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. My first question, do we see ourselves as servants? Paul saw himself as servant, and most of us would look to Paul as one of the greatest preachers besides Jesus Christ in the New Testament. But do we see ourselves as servants? Because that is the call that Paul has answered. So first thing is five things that we see in this text about Paul. It's pretty easy. Five things that we see in this text about Paul. Number one, Paul's identity. What was Paul? I just said it. He was a servant. In the Greek, a servant is the same word as a slave. A slave. This... Um, and even, even as we look at the name Paul, because most of us know the conversion story from the book of Acts of Paul, from Saul to Paul, Paul actually means small, little, or humble. The name Paul means small, little, or humble, which is, which is completely different when we look back at Paul and be like, he wasn't small, he wasn't little, and he was humble. But he was not a small character in the narrative of the New Testament. He had a big part to play in the writing of the of Scripture. So it's interesting that God granted him the name Paul, even though he had these plans for him. I have a cousin. I have a cousin, and most of you have seen my brother. My brother is 6'4", 400 pounds, okay? That's a rough estimate. He's around there. He looks like an offensive lineman for the NFL. Um, but I have another cousin who is bigger than him, but they call him Tiny. You see the oxymoron there? Like, this guy, I wish I had a picture of him. He has a beard down to here. He's younger than me. And he's mass, like he's, he's a hoss, is what we call in the South. He's a, he's a hoss. 
But you see, that's the same way we look at Paul's name as, as, as small, little, or humble. Sometimes we have to relate with something that we're opposite in order for that to be washed over our lives. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 20. He says this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. What does this mean? Our bodies are not our own. They are bought with a price. The, the blood of Christ had to buy our bodies. So we shouldn't live like that. We are a slave to God. We are, we are, we are a servant of the Most High. So we should live as a servant of the Most High and not to glorify ourselves with our own bodies. Listen to this. This is, uh, this is the second um, fill in the blank. Our identity should always lead us to humility. Our identity should always lead us to humility. Here's a reality truth for us this morning. Most of us are more passionate about fulfilling a position than we are our identity. But we cannot mix the two up. So what does that mean? What we see next is Paul's position. What is Paul's position in here? Anybody? An apostle. We see that in verse 1. Paul's position was an apostle. So what is an apostle? It's someone sent on mission. An apostle is someone sent on mission. And see, we see two types of an apostle in Scripture. Paul refers to himself as an apostle here, but it is not the office of an apostle. So there's an office of an apostle, and then there's an apostle himself. An apostle can just be one sent by God. That is, that is us. But the qualifications of the office of apostle, listen to this. We find in Acts, there's a lot of content here. Bear with me as we push through. Acts 1, 15 through 26. There's five, four things that you have to, must have witnessed in order to be an apostle. Number one is Christ's baptism. Number two, you witness Christ's ministry here on this earth, the, the three years of ministry. Number four, I mean, number three, I miscounted. Christ's death and resurrection. You must have seen Christ's death and resurrection. And number four, Christ's ascension into heaven. I have a question. Besides a couple in this room who could have been around, how many of y'all were around to witness Christ's baptism? Raise your hand. Couple, couple. Nobody was around to witness Christ's baptism. That was 2,000 years ago. So none of us can fulfill the office of an apostle anymore. So if you turn on TV and they talk about the office of an apostle, you can turn the TV back off. Because they're not fulfilling. They're, they're giving themselves a title that Christ never gave. They're giving themselves a title that Christ did not appoint them to. Because they couldn't have fulfilled the qualifications. Now that gets us to Paul. Paul called himself an apostle. But apostle just means one sit on mission. So yes, you can have the gift of an apostle. And I'm, I'm sure he would say this on stage. Zeke Tomaselli, Kahu Zeke, has the gift of apostleship. 
He is one sent on mission. He's always looking for the next move ahead in order to get us where we need to go. He's always looking to, to start new new works wherever at in the world. That's how we have gotten to 10 church plants within the first four years of our ministry. First five years of our ministry. And then the last one, you got to remember because Judas was an apostle and that he took his life. So Matthias was chosen by the other 11 to fill his spot. So what does that mean for us? Let's bring it back down. What does that mean for us? We can have the, we can have the gift of an apostle. See, the Great Commission says all believers are sent, which is the full definition of an apostle. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all which I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the world. That's the KJV version, if you know it, I hope. But the Great Commission says, as you go, preach the gospel. The Great Commission says all believers are sent out. So being sent out gives us the authority to preach the gospel. But it also gives us the expectation to preach the gospel. So my question, as we look at this, are you pouring out God's grace by, by preaching the gospel? Are you pouring out God's grace by preaching the gospel to this city? Number three, we see God's people. Who is, I mean, no, sorry. I gave you the answer right there. Who is Paul's people? Who is Paul's people? It's God's elect, verses one and two. It's his people. First Peter 2, 9 says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. Whose possession? His. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen, it's easy to get caught up to preach the gospel to people that look like you. It's easy to get caught up in preaching the gospel to people that are like you. When I came here, it was hard for me to preach the gospel to people that didn't look like me. Because the connections was different. But our ministry should, should reach all people. Because all people are God's people. Revelation says every tongue, tribe, and nation will be gathered around the throne of God. It is not going to be just Hawaiians in this section and just Hallies in this section and then just the, the, the charismatics in this section, all this sort of stuff. We're not going to be segregated. Everybody's going to be around the throne of God. So our evangelism strategy, oh, that's a Southern Baptist term right there. Our evangelism, our sharing the gospel should look like what heaven looks like. We are blessed in this church because this church is a reflection of what heaven's going to look like. I was a part of Zeke's church in Carthage, Tennessee, where he was the 1%. Everybody else looked like me. They did. I've been to many churches where everybody looked like me. That's all the churches. This is the first one I've been a part of that didn't. 
And there's beauty in that because this is what heaven's going to look like. But as we go out, this is what our evangelism should look like. Not the people of the same social economical status or anything like that. Here's a short definition for God's elect. They're the chosen, the elect, the, um, and the selected by God. Before the foundations of the world, God chose you, Ephesians 1, um, verses 1 through 4, through 7. Then number 4, we see Paul's purpose. What was Paul's purpose in this passage? It was to preach. Verse 3 says that. And it was at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. It was through preaching was Paul's purpose. What was Paul going to preach? The gospel. God's word. Even, even the Old Testament that pushed forward to the New Testament. And number five, we see Paul's passing. Passing the torch to Titus, verse four. To Titus, my true child in common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. What does this mean? It shows a life of multiplication. Are our lives reflecting multiplication in the church? Is our hearts reflecting multiplication in the church? Do they reflect discipleship in the church? Are you training up your children in the way that you want them to go? Are you just passing them off to the easiest person? Are you, are you showing your child, a, are you putting the importance of a Christian education just as much of an importance as secular education on your child? We just had promotion Sunday. We love education in the educational realm. But if our primary purpose is to get them through high school without any biblical knowledge, we are failing as parents. We are failing as a church because on Mother's Day and coming up on Father's Day, We're going to dedicate children to the Lord. And something I take seriously is when we promise as a congregation to help train up these children in the way they should go. I don't take, I don't take those promises lightly. So us as, as a body, as a body of believers, do we care about that? Do we care about the discipleship of the next generation? Which leads us to point two. The beautiful one. God's grace is poured out by us in his assurance. We see two things in this. Number one, we have his promise. Say, neighbor, we have his promise. That's in verse two. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Is that not good? Is that not good that God has promised this before the ages began? Listen to this. The de- hope, this is the definition that you have on your fill in the blank. A, hope is confident certainty and expectation of something that is not yet ours, but will be. Do we have hope in the gospel like that? Do we have 
confident certainty in the gospel that it will be reached among the nations and that one day we will, we will spend eternity with God in heaven? Or is it one of those things like, man, I hope this stuff pans out right. I, I am, I'm watching a, a series on TV. Um, and they had a tornado in this, in this series. And the guy is the, the manager of the store is supposed to be a, a Christian religious guy. And then so he started praying during the tornado, like, oh God, save us, save us, save us. And then he was like, nothing happened. So he went to Allah. Oh, oh God, Allah, save us, save us. And then the tornado stopped. So then he was like, is Allah the true God? Or do you have confident hope that Christ is the Savior? See, we sometimes we think like that, like, oh, I hope all this pans out in the end. Like, I'm going to get a little bit of all in order to make sure I'm safe coming home. But in all reality, our hope should only be in Christ and Christ himself. That when Christ was crucified and on the cross, he said, it is finished. That is where our hope lies. Not in ourselves trying to get to the cross, but in those three words itself, it is finished. See, because this hope of eternal life from verse 2 is founded upon the character integrity of God who cannot lie. Listen to me. Listen to me this morning. If our God can lie, he is no longer God. If our God can lie, he is no longer able of being God. So that we have to base our hope on that fact that Christ cannot lie. Because you look at the adversary, Satan, who is the father of lies. How did this all start? How did, how did redemption, the redemption story start? It started in Genesis. God created man and Eve in the garden and everything was good. And then the father of lies, Satan, came into the garden and told Eve, if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. And what happened? She ate of the fruit. And from that day on, all of us, every single one of us wants to be our own God. We want to live for ourselves. But see, the promise of redemption started in Genesis 3.15, where God said that to, the, to Satan, I will bring upon you somebody to crush your head. You will bruise his heel. We see that in the cross. You will bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. What truth is that? That is the promise that we live for. That is the promise that we hope for. That God of the universe has crushed Satan. Number two, we have his word. Danny Aiken says it this way. The eternal promise of eternal life from God who cannot lie stepped into history as the word of God and made known through preaching which, uh, which message had been entrusted to Paul and now to us by the commandment of our Lord and Savior. What does that mean? What does that mean? That not only God promised, but he fulfilled because he cannot lie. And that person came down as Jesus Christ as the word of God. John 1, um, John 1 talks about, I am the word. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We have his word. We have the fulfillment of scripture. That is where, the, that is where these truths lie. 
This is the truth. I've said it. I said it on across the stage a couple weeks ago. One of the truths that's been rocking me, I like the question I do in Let's Talk Story that I like the most is, what has God been reminding you consistently as your walk with Him? Because it's good for, to learn from other people. Like there's podcasts made in order to understand what people are going through so we can, we can understand better. That's my favorite question for everybody. But one of the things that God has been laid upon my heart over and over and over again is that the same vessels that, that Christ came to save are the same vessels used in his mission. And I think about this analogy-wise. Like, think of a rescue boat. Like, a, a massive storm took out one of the big bays wherever. And there's all these, all these boats trapped in this storm. And so they send rescue vessels into the storm to bring boats out. How crazy is it that after you get pulled out, would you go back into the storm to save other people? We never see that happen. There's boats fulfilled. Their whole mission is to do that. But when we are saved, when we are saved by Christ, we, we are in a storm. And we, we get pulled out of the storm into the life, but then we're sent back into the storm in order to bring other people out. To be vessels of rescue in order for people to come back out. That's some good truth right there. That's some good truth that, that though you needed to be saved, God uses you in the avenue to save others into his glory. This is our calling. This is our mission as people, as saved ones of Christ. This is our mission is to preach the words in season and out of season. Listen to this. This is a truth for you. This one, this one washed over me this week. And this is, part of me was like, no, this ain't true. But part of me is like, yes, this is very true. So listen carefully. People may preach the gospel better. But no one will preach a better gospel. So what does that mean? That means the people in the back. What does that mean? That means throughout history, you look at all the fathers of our faith. We look at Billy Graham. We look at Charles Spurgeon. We, we look at Paul himself. Yes, they might, they might be able to communicate the gospel better. But they don't preach a better gospel than Dave or Ulu or Connie or Jacob or any Kahe. They don't preach a better gospel. You are preaching the same gospel that they're preaching. There's power in that. There's beauty in that. Which leads us on to our final point. And then we'll be done. God's grace is poured out by us in his family. God's grace is poured out by us in his family. Verse 4, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father, God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. We see Ohana in this passage. There's two ways we see it. Number one, the true child in a common faith. Paul is saying that in Christianity, we should have spiritual parents that might not be physical parents. Most of us have experienced that in our lives. 
Most of us have experienced this in some way in our lives. My spiritual father, I would say, is probably my pastor before here. And Zeke, it's not my real father. But listen to this. This is the best best thing. We all have a common bloodline by being washed in the blood of Christ. Listen to me. Listen to me. The cocoa that runs through my veins is not the same as Auntie Donna's or Mama D's internally. But externally, we've been adopted by the same bloodline. We are washed in the same blood of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? We're family. How, how can somebody from, from Waianae or Miley have relationship with somebody from Wartrace, Tennessee or Bellbuckle, Tennessee? We have nothing in common except for the blood of Christ. And that's how we build relationship. Our relationship is not built physically first. It's based on the blood of Christ first. Because we're family. And number two, we see God the Father. Once adopted through that bloodline, we all inherit God as our Father. No matter how good, bad, ugly your father relationship is or was, we have the best Father in the world once we're adopted in. Because we have the God the Father himself as our Father. Just as we see parts of the Trinity in this passage, in fellowship, we, we get to have fellowship with them. All right, listen to this. I'm reading a book, and I shared this with the, the people this morning, the elders. I'm reading a book, and it talks about all the problems we face in this world, your marriage problems, financial problems, all the crap that we deal with in our everyday lives. It goes away when we start studying the Trinity properly. And so what, how, how does that happen? How does my financial problems go away when we study the Trinity? It's a good question. I'm glad you asked it. Not only can it fix the issue, which is sin, but it can also take the focus off the issue itself and place it on God. I was talking in the, in the room earlier. If if you look from my house, if you look up to Mauna Kea, guess what you're going to see? Albizia trees, because I don't have a view of Mauna Kea from my house. But if you take a step back, if you get on a, if you get on a helicopter and start taking your view out, it's a beautiful picture. And you get to see the majesty of Mauna Kea, Mauna Loa, the island itself. See, sometimes the reason we struggle is because we're too focused on the, the zero-foot view. Sometimes we've got to focus on God at the 5,000-foot view in order to get over our problems. So who is this Trinity? Who, what, what is this Trinity? I'm going to go through this really fast. The Trinity is God in three persons. The definition is God eternally exists as three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And each person is fully God, and there is only one God. 
How does that work? I don't know. That's the beauty of the gospel. I don't know how it works. If I could answer that question, I would be God. Nobody in this room's ever going to exactly tell you how the Trinity works. But here's the beauty. The God of the universe, the God that created you, that promised you to have your back, to never leave you or forsake you, is unexplainable by man. That's a better God than one that can be explained by man. That's a better God than one that can be explained by man. Just a a little bit more. Trinity is never mentioned in scripture. However, the idea is present. Trinity means tri-unity or three in oneness. God is three persons, yet one God. Some scripture, Genesis 1, 26. Let us us make man in our image. Who is that? The triune God together in fellowship. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This word for God is Elohim. This is why it's important to study who God is. Elohim is, is another definition of three people. It's plural in, the, in Hebrew. Hosea 1.7, the Lord is speaking and says, I will deliver them by the Lord their God. The word for Lord is Yahweh. Another definition for three people, it's plural. And it goes on. We can go through, through New Testament names. But this is what I want to say. There's three persons, yet one God. I won't be able to tell you how that works. You got to have faith in that God. But that God is a gracious God. The Trinity is gracious and giving in its distinct attributes. The Trinity is gracious and giving in its distinct attributes. Listen to this. God gave his son. The son gave his life. And the spirit gives us life. So God, the father of creation, gave us his son. The son gave up his life. And the spirit is the one that gives us life. That's the kind of gracious God we serve. Does that make sense to me? If I was God the father, would I give my son? No. It doesn't make sense, but I'm not God. That's why the studying of God will expand your mind. It will stretch your soul. And you were like, I'm going to be honest with you. Friday was a struggle with me. Friday was, I struggled through the day. I was at work at, I was supposed to be at work at 1.45 in the morning. And I forgot my key, so I had to turn around and go back. I spilt my juice, we'll call it juice, I don't know, um, in, in the floor as I slammed on my brakes to turn back into shower drive in a, a big cup. So I had to go back in, get my keys, make the, make the thing. We had a 3 a.m. pour, um, 170 yards. If you know concrete, that's a lot. I only had three trucks. I had to scramble trucks, pumps going everywhere. What does, what does this mean? Absolutely nothing because we serve the eternal God. When my, my focus was so on myself and on the things I was responsible, I neglected my, my focus on God. What happened on Friday? Well, I got a couple screams from some customers because we relate. But what happened? Nothing. 
But if my focus was on God, why was I worried about nothing actually happening? I was so scared that something was going to go wrong and somebody was going to be mad at me for 45 minutes that I neglected God. So here's my questions for us this morning. Are you pouring out God's grace in service? Our first point. Are you serving to the fullest capacity? We've always said here, if you've been attending for longer than six months and you're not serving in capacity, this might not be the best church for you. Are you pouring out God's grace by your assurance? Is your hope of the gospel undeniable in your life? The the elders were, were messaging this week. We're reading a book together. If somebody was placed in your shoes, would they see your reliance on God each and every day? Can you go to sleep at night knowing God's, God's good promises to you? Or do you stay, I've stayed awake at night thinking like, is this whole thing real? Or am I really saved? Because I don't feel like it at this point. But the beauty of that is we don't trust our feelings. We trust the sovereign God who cannot lie. So are you a servant? Are you looking to be served? Are you involved for the advancement of God's kingdom of your own? Look, I know, I know as, as this new year rolls around, there's going to be changes with, with some of us going to Keal to plant Ohana Church Keal. There's struggle. There's struggle in my heart. All right? Because I love you. I love everyone in this room. And so there's struggle with going. But here's the beauty. Here's the beauty of it, okay? We have to. Our command is go and push out the darkness in chaos. So as we serve, it is God's command to go and push out the darkness. But here's, here's the point of the sermon. The gospel demands a response. Are you going to live out of the overflow of your service? Is people going to notice God because of your service? Are they going to notice God because your connection with this Ohana and the Ohana's within? We had a beautiful time yesterday. Me and my wife were walking down the road, 12th Avenue, Paradise Park, the gravel road that everybody goes 90 down for some reason, sometimes on four-wheelers. Um... (laughs) but we stopped. Malia was outside and then Uncle Leroy and Auntie Don, uh, I mean, Mama D came by and we stopped in fellowship for, we looked down at the clock and we had to get Cohen back in bed in an hour and we still didn't finish our route. Family. Is family important to you? Does people notice you because your commitment to Family. And does people notice you because of your commitment to the assurance of God? When you go through life, when we go through these stages of life, work is the easiest one because work pulls us out of that comfort zone. 
Does people notice that you're relying on the assurance of God? Or do they think you're relying on the assurance of man just like everybody else there? I failed. I promise you I fell all the time in that area. But God's gracious in that. So that's how I'm going to end. You have, you have a choice. The gospel has been preached. You can serve. We can go. You can go and serve with us in KL. You can go out from Hilo. It doesn't matter as long as you serve well. Because the rejection to say, no, I'm not going to serve, is a rejection of the gospel. It's a rejection of the gospel himself and Christ himself. And you've already made your determination. So as we pray this out, remember those truths. God will know us by our service. Lord, you are a gracious, good God. Lord, as we talked about and prayed through this morning, you're far beyond our comprehension in all avenues. Lord, your grace and your mercy, I don't understand. I don't know how you can be so gracious and forgive us over and over and over again. But your love is unfailing. But it does require us to serve just as Timothy did to Paul. Timothy left his home and went and served in the island of Crete. And as we, as we will learn further on, this island was, was hard. Theologians call Titus Paul's green beret, his sidekick, his, his number one guy that he would send Titus to the hard places. Lord, are we willing to go to the hard places? Are we willing to go where people don't know you? Are we okay being comfortable? Are we okay just being okay and going through life like eternity's not on stake? Lord, we love you and we thank you for hard truths that make us point back to you. In your name I pray.